The periodical podcast recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first people of this place known as Australia. We recognise the Yagara and Turbal people as the traditional custodians of the land where we record today and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We also acknowledge that the themes covered in the periodical podcast, including menstrual and maternal health outcomes, disproportionately impact First Nations women. This podcast is brought to you by Hey Owl Productions. Hello and welcome to the Periodical Pod. I'm Alex, one of your hosts and the producer of this show. I own Hail Productions, a boutique podcast production company here in Brisbane. I'm a writer with a focus on women's health, feminism, parenting and pop culture. And I am the mum of three beautiful kids. And I'm Michelle. I'm a women's health practitioner and nothing brings me more joy than educating people on the female body. I believe when we know better, we do better. So the more we know about our body, the better we can live in flow with it, not against it. We have partnered to make a women's health podcast that's packed full of the topics we all should have been taught but never were. We're your big sisters for periods and we're diving deep into until now taboo topics such as periods, hormones mental health, fertility, sex, menopause, and the entire spectrum of women's health. In this podcast, there's no such thing as too much information. We're not holding anything back and we're covering the topics you might be too embarrassed to ask about. Expect epic guests, including experts in women's health and people with lived experience. We want to empower women with education and create an opportunity to share real life stories that will make you laugh and cry. Today, we are welcoming our first guest, Lizzie Mulherin. As you will hear, Lizzie is a very accomplished writer and business owner. Michelle spoke to Lizzie early last year about her experience investigating egg freezing from a journalistic lens. And I really wanted to bring this interview to you all because when I heard it, I just found it so interesting. Before we get into the interview, Michelle, Would it be possible for you to give our listeners just a really quick rundown of what egg freezing is? Yeah, absolutely. So in the interview with Lizzie, we are talking about elective egg freezing. And so I firstly want to distinguish between elective egg freezing and medical egg freezing. So elective egg freezing would probably be what most people know, like elective egg freezing is what most people will be talking about when they talk about freezing their eggs. So it is oocyte preservation. We're essentially freezing our eggs now to be used later. Egg freezing is essentially the first half of IVF is usually what it's referred to as. So when you freeze your eggs, you will be working with a IVF specialist, a fertility specialist. They will prescribe you medication that will enhance or proliferate the eggs that your ovaries produce. So they'll stimulate the production of eggs so that your ovaries have all these beautiful eggs on them to then be withdrawn at egg collection. Yeah. That's where it sort of ends for egg freezing. And so that is what we would call a stim cycle in IVF. Yeah. So you stimulate the ovaries and then you retrieve the eggs from the ovaries. Yeah. In elective egg freezing, those eggs would then be frozen to be used at a later date. That later date would look like either having a partner and using their sperm or if somebody chooses to do donor sperm. Yeah. And so that process is then thawing the eggs, adding sperm, seeing how many embryos are then made, mm-hmm. and then potentially refreezing those embryos. So 
In IVF, on the other hand, if you are going straight into sort of transfers or if you're freezing embryos, it'll be different. So if you are freezing embryos and some people that are in a relationship or people that know that they will always use donor sperm might choose to freeze embryos instead of freezing eggs. And so that could be, I'm just going to speak really heteronormatively for a second because that's my experience of the world. Say I have a partner and we decide that we don't want to have children until later on in life. We might choose to freeze our embryos together. Yeah. And in that situation, we would stimulate the ovaries, retrieve the eggs, add the sperm, see how many embryos we have, and then freeze those embryos. Right. And then once that later date comes around, we would thaw an embryo and transfer it. Yeah. So the difference between freezing eggs and freezing embryos is that there's only one thaw in that process. Right. Whereas when you freeze eggs, you freeze the eggs, you thaw the eggs, add the sperm, get the embryos, freeze the embryos, and then thaw an embryo for transfer. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So that's why you'll hear Lizzie and I talk about freezing embryos in the conversation, in the interview, because freezing embryos, a lot of people will say, and I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but a lot of people will say that the success rates for freezing embryos are higher than just freezing eggs. And that's because of that double freeze thaw process in elective egg freezing. Right. So then if you are doing IVF typically, and this is, I'm talking very like typically sort of ideal uh, world situation. Someone that's doing IVF will go through the exact same process of stimulating the ovaries, go through the exact same process of retrieving the eggs. They'll see how many of those eggs are viable. And then depending on the individual situation, they'll either use their partner's sperm or donor sperm to add to the eggs and they'll see how many embryos are created. And then we'll wait to see how many embryos survive. So how many embryos grow appropriately and develop appropriately. Yeah. And then depending on what the plan is, they might do a fresh transfer. So the embryo that they transfer might not ever be frozen. Okay. Or they'll freeze all of their embryos and then they might go and test those embryos. So they might do something like PGT testing and then they'll again thaw an embryo to transfer it. Yeah. So that's why people will say that egg freezing is like the first half of IVF. Yeah. Because you don't go on to do the transfer. Yeah. Okay. So it gets a little bit confusing when people say that they have to do rounds of IVF. You will usually do, hopefully, you'll do an egg collection and you'll end up with beautiful embryos and then you go and you transfer those embryos. Yeah. So that's elective egg freezing is sort of you do the first half of IVF, you collect the eggs and then the idea is that potentially you'll never use the eggs. Potentially you'll, you might decide you don't want children. You might find a partner and you might have children with that partner. You might decide at a later date that you'll become a solo parent and you might look for donor sperm. And then in that case, you'll have to do IVF. So you'll add the sperm and then transfer. So the transfer is inserting the embryo back into the uterus for implantation. So essentially, if you do go on to use the eggs that you froze, you will be doing IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. So that's fertilizing the eggs in a petri dish and then implanting it back into the uterus. And I do just want to mention as well, like medical egg freezing. Yeah. So if somebody say is going to be undertaking cancer treatment, then their doctors might recommend doing a medical egg freezing, which is doing exactly what I've just said. 
to retrieve the eggs because potentially their cancer treatment, let's say, I'm just using that as an example, might impact their hormones and their ability to produce eggs later. So medical egg freezing is different to elective egg freezing. In the episode, Lizzie and I are really talking about elective egg freezing. And we talk a lot about like the advertising associated with it and how much of an industry it is. But there's definitely also reasons why people would be freezing their eggs that lay outside of elective egg freezing as well. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Okay, you guys, I am really excited to introduce you to this fabulous woman that I'm speaking with today. Lizzie Mulheron is a writer whose words have graced the titles of Marie Claire, Refinery29, Fashion Journal Magazine, Cosmo, Body and Soul, and so many more amazing titles. She is a real trailblazer and is the founder of Write on Brand, a copywriting, brand strategy, and content marketing business. What I love most about Lizzie is she shares my passion for supporting other women in her industry. And she does this through her course, Use Your Words, where she shares all of the tips and tricks that have led her to run a successful six-figure business as a freelance writer. My gosh, Lizzie, you and I actually studied at university together over 10 years ago, and I am so impressed with the caliber of your work. And the reason I wanted to speak with you today is that for me, you really epitomize the modern woman. You have achieved so much in your career. You've lived overseas in multiple countries. You now live in Sydney with your partner and your grudel. And like so many women our age, you have tossed and turned on whether or not to freeze your eggs, which is the topic we're going to cover in our conversation today. Before we get into all of that, I'd love you to add on to anything that I've missed and introduce yourself to our audience. Oh my God, it's hard to follow that. That, What an introduction. (laughs) Yeah, I think you really, you covered off the main points, but I think something that's particularly relevant to what we'll be discussing today is that, yeah, like I... I have really prioritized in my 20s work and travel. And those were always the two things that I was just like obsessed with. And like writing and traveling were the two, the only two things I ever knew I really wanted to do. I wasn't thinking at all about marriage or kids or any of that. It's only something that's come on into my radar, you know, when I'm in my 30s. And yeah, I mean, I have absolutely loved living my life this way and being overseas and working for a bunch of different businesses. Now, since running my own business and, you know, with my freelance writing as well, women's health is a real area that I'm super interested in. And the older I get, the more interested in it I get. So I suppose that's why uh, egg freezing is something that's really become quite interesting to me to explore both on a personal and a, and a professional level in terms of what I've written about it too. Yeah. And I mean, you have written about egg freezing for some pretty big titles. The Marie Claire article was really fantastic and I loved reading it. And what I love about you is how research driven you are. And I'd love to know how long ago did you actually start the process of researching egg freezing? Yeah. So I would say that, I mean, obviously, you know, egg freezing has been around for a while, but as I said before, like it just wasn't even on my radar. I'd say it came onto my radar about 18 months ago. Yeah. 18 months to two years ago, I was living back in Brisbane my partner and I had fled Melbourne during in between the lockdowns. And I'd come back to Brisbane for the first time in seven years since living, you know, in bigger cities like London and Amsterdam and Melbourne, where 
people were doing, they do kids so much later there, if at all. It's just a very, very different vibe. And I was suddenly back in Brisbane where all of my friends who were my age, I was 30 when I was came back to Brisbane, like had had kids or were like planning too soon. And I was like, oh God, suddenly just surrounded by this conversation around kids and, and those big decisions. And I was like, oh, I've got to make some decisions of my own, I suppose. <laughs> um, and I actually started getting targeted with like promotions and ads from egg freezing companies or companies that were, you know, in that femtech uh, realm where they, you know, have products around helping girls, you know, promoting tracking cycles or, or, you know, testing for fertility and things like that. And I just remember one ad in particular really kind of caught my eye, not from the sense of, oh, I'm interested in that, but more from the sense of like, oh, is that ethical? (laughs) (laughs) And after that, I sort of started to really dive into it. And then, I don't know, I think it's a combination of egg freezing, you know, being a privately backed industry and and receiving a a lot of uh, investor money in recent years. So there's a lot more just advertising money behind. And so we're getting served it more uh, in, in content as well. And also just me being of that age, it was sort of starting to get really served to me a lot. And then that's sort of what I suppose inspired me to dive into it in a heavily researched way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you said there's, there is so much investor money in egg freezing. And I think what a lot of people don't know is some of the IVF clinics in Australia are actually publicly listed companies. So they have shareholders and you and I both hold business degrees and we understand that you have to keep the shareholders happy, right? And so mm-hmm. there becomes this really fine line between um, providing a health service and mm-hmm potentially selling something to a a market. And I'm wondering throughout your process of connecting with different fertility clinics, throughout your process of researching egg freezing, have you ever felt like you were being sold to? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what I guess spiked uh, that article you referenced before. I was like, I don't think it's a very, very gray area because I think, as you said, a lot of people don't realize that these businesses are privately owned, which means they're for profit, which means there's incentive to sell. And and, and that's, it's, it's just great. It's very great because, you know, there's, it goes without saying there are so many people who've benefited from this amazing technology and these advancements. And that's, that's really wonderful. Like anything that gives women more control and more power and more options over their body and their health and their choices, those are good things, but it gets murky when it's people are being sold to in a you know in a sneaky way with and as well because I've got my copywriting business I'm a writer so I'm super aware of language and how language is used Mm. to sell and play into fear and I think the narrative of women becoming mothers it's so deeply entrenched in our culture in our society you know from when we're like little girls we're given baby dolls to play with and you know people grow up just either not questioning that narrative or thinking that if they don't want it there's something wrong with them or you know and having this these language you know these ads that are served to you the one that stood out to me years ago was I'm not I can't even remember that I'm not going to like name and shame the business but the language was, you know, do you want kids someday? We should talk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I just think that, that sat a little bit, 
you know, uncomfortably with me. And I think maybe some people will see that and be like, oh, yeah, I do, and that's great. But it's just it really you've got to be so careful of it, not erring into fear-mongering around a topic that's already so delicate for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. I think fear is a really central factor when it comes to egg freezing. And I do see an evolution in the, I guess, the rhetoric around egg freezing in that once upon a time, it was often sort of called that insurance policy. And I'm actually noticing a shift away from that languaging, which I think is really beneficial to um, the people that it's getting marketed to at the end of the day, because it can be a really, really murky area when we are telling people this is your insurance policy when it's just absolutely not. No, that phrase is so dangerous and thank thank God they're moving away from it. It's just simply not true. When I wrote that um, Marie Claire article, I interviewed a psychologist who specializes in people going through fertility issues. And I asked her about that phrase and she was like, oh, it's more accurate to say you're entering the lottery. She said, that's actually more accurate. If you look at the numbers and the stats around it all, you know, it's, yeah, that's more accurate. And there's also a very large percentage of people who never go back to use their eggs that are on you know, yeah, I think I used to know the statistic. It was yeah. less than 20%. Yes, sure, yeah. but I should yeah. look it up and see if I can include it in the show notes. But mm-hmm. it's a very small percentage of people yes. that do actually go back to use their eggs, and which is a good thing, right? Like yeah. it's telling us that they hopefully didn't need to use them. Potentially they mm-hmm. went on, if they did want to create a family, they went on to do that without needing to use those eggs. And I often tell the people that I work with as well is even if you do freeze your eggs, you will be going back to use your younger eggs sort of at the very latest stage of your IVF journey. So you will very likely, if you do go on to do IVF, you'll very likely do rounds of egg collection and then rounds of transfers using those embryos, depending on what your situation is, whether you're using donor sperm or partner sperm, whatever it may be, you would typically keep those eggs that are on ice for as long as you can and use them when you get sort of to the end of the road. That's typically Mm. what I see in my patients that have frozen eggs at an earlier stage of life. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't even know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm. I think, so something that I did want to ask you, I understand that at this moment in time, you've decided Mm. not to freeze your eggs. Are you comfortable Mm. talking about sort of what the biggest influence has been on your decision to not do it right now? Yeah, totally. For me, I mean, obviously, you know, doing all this research into the industry itself and speaking when I'm making a decision about something, I process by researching and, and, you know, talking to people and and reading. And then also I sort of, I'll gather a lot of external information and then I'll like sit with it myself and see what feels right for me kind of thing. And as I was researching, I learned about one of the main reasons was learning about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which I interviewed you about for my article, which is so helpful. And yeah, it's, yeah, as, as your listeners may or may not know, it's, there's a real risk of there being damage or, you know, a lot of pain if you are someone who has a high ovarian reserve or a high AMH level, which I learned that I do have. So I was weighing up, you know, is this risk of pain and discomfort worth it for something that I 
may or may not even use that may or may not even work and you know weighing up all the numbers and for me right now it was not worth it yeah sure Basically. thanks so much for sharing that let's talk about yeah. ovarian so ovarian yes. hyperstim mm. just for a minute because I'm sure some people are listening and they're like what is that so mm. you and I both have polycystic ovarian syndrome that's correct hey yes. yes so people that typically have PCOS will have a higher AMH and AMH is your anti-malarian hormone it's the hormone that we test when you are going to be doing either egg freezing or IVF and it it influences the drugs that you would then take during your egg collection. And so the higher AMH that you have, potentially the more likely IVF is going to suit you. But one of the side effects of that is that the drugs might work too well and then you might actually develop too many follicles on your ovaries. And the reason why that's prevalent in people that have PCOS is because by nature, people that have PCOS tend to have many follicles on their ovaries. So they could have, I think typically it's about 12 or less is a normal follicle count on an ovary at any given time. But people that have PCOS tend to have polycystic ovaries on ultrasound, which means that they've got multiple follicles and it's our follicles. And if there's a (laughs) fertility specialist listening, I hope I'm getting this perfectly correct, but (laughs) the, the follicles are actually secreting that hormone. And so what happens is people that have PCOS, they have have the high level of AMH, but the AMH actually stops follicle maturation. So people that have PCOS will tend to have many follicles, but those follicles won't eventuate into becoming a dominant follicle to then go on and ovulate. So that's why people have an ovulation when they have PCOS. That's all to say that people that do have a high AMH count, when they are taking the stim drugs during an egg collection cycle, they can develop ovarian hyperstim, which is essentially when the follicles really are so abundant that they can create a lot of discomfort for the patient. So it could be bloating, but it could also be, you know, really excruciating pain and um, rightly so Lizzie, like that's something that if you can avoid, you would want to avoid it. Typically in clinical practice, it's, I, and I said this to you when you interviewed me for the Marie Claire piece is Typically, ovarian hyperstimulation, it should be really rare these days because fertility specialists are so aware of it and they're so mindful of um, the dosage when giving those stim drugs. But my gosh, I've seen a lot of it lately and it can be it can be really heartbreaking if you are actually so if you're doing egg collection, you're obviously freezing your eggs, you're not going on to do a transfer. But for my patients that are actually going through the full process of egg collection and then transfer, if you do have hyperstim, it means that you very likely won't be able to do a fresh transfer. And so that can be really heartbreaking for people that, number one, it's time sensitive, like they want to get straight into doing a transfer as soon as they can. And number two, I think there's, there's an idea that fresh is best, even though that's not essentially, you know, true and frozen transfers are absolutely fine, but it can be really devastating for people that do want to go on and have a transfer straight away um, to go through hyperstim. So I think rightly so, Lizzie, like you, you want to avoid that at all costs. And the financial factor as well, I think is interesting. You certainly have your finger on the pulse when it comes to (laughs) sort of the influence of VR and journalism and media. It's definitely been a topic of interest lately, the use of influencers Mm. when marketing egg freezing where do you land on that yeah again it's so so great I think it's again it's playing into that you know really getting dangerously close to 
not giving people the full picture. And I think that's kind of what is the biggest thing with all of this, really. You know, so if it's, it's like any product, like if it's an influencer, you know, they do have really strong influence a lot of the time over their followers. And if they aren't super, super transparent about the fact that they are doing this for free and, you know, if they were even, I think things like, who approached who? Did they approach you to do it? Because that information needs to be delivered very, very transparently and very upfront because that should then sort of filter what your viewers are seeing. Like if influencers are having the opportunity to freeze their eggs and to save that 10 grand, like, and that's something they want to do, like go go for it. Like I get that, you know, I'm not going to, I wouldn't judge anyone for that at all. But I think it's just, yeah, really, really important to be just super, super, super transparent about it. And and I think a big part of the, the freezing conversation that, you know, needs to be put up front as well is like the actual stats around the live births that come from freezing. And this goes back to the insurance policy as well. You know, there's just because you freeze your eggs, there's just absolutely no guarantee. Even if you get a lot of them, there's just no way of, of fully knowing if it will work. If you are in a position where you have the financial means and physically it's you know a good thing for you to do you know all of your test results are positive and and your doctor says it's going to be a good chance that you'll have a a smooth experience then you know absolutely go for it but if it's something that you are going to be going into debt for or you know that's when it's just really just got to really take the time to think about it properly and weigh up whether it really will be worth it You mentioned that you interviewed a counsellor for your article when you were researching this. I actually went into, I think it was three years ago when I turned 30, I actually engaged with a therapist and I said to her, I want to know, I want to kind of like go deep with you and understand if I want to freeze my eggs. And I think that was one of the most useful things I've done because through our work together, and it wasn't a work that it wasn't like I was seeing them for years. It was really just like a manner of sessions, but I really wanted a professional to be able to counsel me so that I could land at a place where I felt really, really comfortable with my decision around, you know, do I want to freeze my eggs? What's important to me? Is finding a partner important to me or is having a baby important to me? If it's finding a partner, then what does XYZ look like? If it's actually having a baby, then what are my other options? Would I, how do I feel about donor sperm? How do I feel about being a single mom? And I really went deep into all of those potential situations. And ultimately at the end of that process, I decided that it's not something that I want to do right now, like at this moment in time. And of course, that's something that might change. Um, I'd mm-hmm. never say never towards the idea of egg freezing, but I do think, and this is something I recommend to my patients and my girlfriends that I have these conversations with is investing in counseling or talking to a professional so that you can really, really understand where you stand on it. Yeah. So that in 10 or 20, 30 years time, if I end up not having children, I really want to look back on this time and go, oh, do you know what? I I made the best decision, the most well-researched decision, the one that I felt most supported in. I made that decision and I kind of, you know, stand by it in a sense. So I really love that you mentioned the the counsellor before. And it's interesting too with the the use of influencers in marketing egg freezing because I follow Chloe Fisher, who is a huge influencer, and she has shared her fertility journey 
so authentically and I think so generously with her Mm. audience. Yeah. And I love her so much for it. And I think the way that she speaks about her journey is so important and I'm sure, I'm certain it's been so beneficial. And it's so funny because I, I look to someone like that and I think, oh, wow, that's where so, I'm so grateful that she's sharing that because I think it opens up it gives an invitation for so many more people to talk about their journey. Definitely. Yet she's an influencer talking about fertility yes, treatments, but sure. there's somehow that's okay. But then yes. when, on the other end, when other people have, you know, it seems like yeah, it has been a so lot of Totally. Do you know what's a really big, there's a big difference as well. That, like I was just thinking as you were talking, it's elective. When it's elective egg freezing, that's what, because like so Chloe, yeah, she's been so vulnerable in, you know, all of her content about it. And you can just see like the raw emotion on their, their journey. They're just, they so want to become parents. Um, but then I think when it, when it's elective egg freezing, maybe it's a different lens because it's people. And it's really interesting because even when I was sort of weighing it up, I would speak to like really close, you know, friends of mine who were having, were going through IVF because they had to mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, having, you know, there's like a different skin in the game. There's different things at stake and when it's emotionally. And I think that's why it's a hard decision to make if you're really looking at it consciously because it's really hard to weigh up like your potential future self when when like I'm building my businesses right now I'm not I'm not like banging for a baby right now you know but it's yeah. you know like I, I remember when you told me that you got uh, therapy for it when you were making a decision like, that's so smart and I'd say probably before you go and drop like 10 15 20k on rounds of egg freezing you know, invest in some therapy to arrive at your own personal decision and and you know that's that's I think a far better use of money uh, than investing in it so you have the option in case you decide later you know rather than doing that maybe go go to therapy and work out what's best for you and then put like a proactive plan in place because you know it's not just one round you might need some people you know you hear stories and this is another part of, that's often left out of the conversation and often left out of the marketing that you're like targeted with your Instagram feed is that you know if you only get so when I had, because I sort of met with my IVF specialist and I had all the meetings and the blood tests and all of that. I just didn't start. I just didn't do the process. For me, uh, you know, as a 32-year-old, I'm almost 33 now, but this was six months ago, I was having this conversation and she said, I'd want at least 10 viable on ice for you. And, but if you go do a round and you only get like two or three viable, which absolutely happens, mm. then it's a decision of, okay, so should I drop another 10K to go through that again and yeah. increase my chances, put my body through that again? Again, you know, it's, and it's, and is she it's, talking eggs or embryos? Sorry, eggs. Yeah, we were just talking yeah. about eggs. Yeah, so so she, for me, she said ten eggs to have the best chance. Like statistically, if you you know go through the limitations that each egg sort of each phase, the drop off rate that was what would. But it's you know it's a numbers game to a degree. But then also there's obviously like chance, times when there's like one egg and it works, and you know these amazing stories as well. But I think when you're looking at weighing up the cost, it's it's not just like going to even be one definite round it could be like you spend that 10 grand and you put your body through quite a lot and you only end up with like one or two (laughs) so then you have to and then it becomes like that cost benefit analysis of of weighing up I can't remember the term for it but it's like weighing up like once you've already 
invested, do you have to keep going to make the investment worthwhile? You know, and it, it's interesting because coming back to this idea of having a counselor or a therapist or somebody mm. on your on your team, it's also to support you if you actually do have a really disappointing outcome. Um, yeah. Which you know, it's something that I see. I've had you know girlfriends that have gone through it. I don't know if you know the Armchair Expert podcast with Dax Shepard, yeah. but they did an egg freezing special, and one of the women who froze their eggs was really disappointed had a really disappointing experience and they were recording the podcast in real time so during Mm -hmm. the process and you could hear the raw emotion in in her voice and the the disappointment I think it's really prudent to have somebody that you're talking to to support you through that process whether it be a therapist or a counselor or whatever it may be Um, you also hear you also hear like you know so many anecdotes of, of women who've gone through it and I've I've had so many stories, especially since writing about it, and pe- you know friends sharing, and then people reaching out to them to share their stories. And um, you know, there's there's two sort of sides of the spectrum. There's a girl, you know, who was told your AMH is really low, which obviously set off like panic stations because she wasn't sort of given the full spectrum of information about what that means. Like you hear some stories where they actually are given the right information and it's it's really positive but then there's stories for every good story there's also a one that's like okay you haven't really been informed properly and that's created a lot of anxiety and this particular girl she decided to freeze because she was told you know, AMH is really low and you kind of have to do it like quite soon like quite urgently and then so she did it and then they got I think like 15 or something like she got hit yeah, loads right. of eggs and it was really a, a lot on her body as well it wasn't one of the smoother experiences it was like a you know and she was like god did I even need to do that and you really freaked me out and now there's loads of eggs there and uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum there's I've heard of women going through it and they're told along the way they're given this sort of sense of almost like false hope when they're getting the the scans that you have as you go through the stimulation cycle oh it's looking really good I can see loads there like this is you know which you know obviously you want to give people positive encouragement but then actually when it came to the withdrawal there was like hardly any and you're like okay you know so there's it's just such an emotional roller coaster and having someone a professional therapist who's dedicated specifically to you and not you know necessarily the process of freezing I think that's yeah yeah someone who's unbiased in in the whole thing yeah look AMH is something that I could talk about all day long but it's also we need to remember it's a picture in a moment in time and Mm. people's AMH can change as well particularly if you're recently off birth control then I would suggest retesting your AMH in sort of six months time as well and seeing if it's shifted since being off of hormonal birth control so and then I think as well you've kind of touched on viability and egg quality and I, in my clinical practice, I support a lot of people that are going through IVF. So I support a lot of people that are actively doing their egg collection and then going straight into transfers. And I know this demographic invests so much in preconception care and in optimizing their egg quality. And it's so interesting because this is something that I just don't see in egg freezing. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this or if you were to go into egg freezing, is this something that you would consider? Yeah, it's and it's. You know, I remember you making this point when we spoke about this you know, a few months ago, and it's such a valid one. And I think it comes back to again that skin in the game factor. When the stakes are emotionally aren't as high, you're less willing to sacrifice. You know, if you you know, oh, like oh, but I want to go to my friend's drinks and have a couple, like you know, oh, whatever, I'm just freezing it. You know, so there's a lot less thought. Whereas if it's someone who's like, oh, I'm I'm, de- I'm trying 
applying for a baby and this is our shot and I just want to do everything I can to give it the best you know chance I can you know I've definitely been with women who are having their eggs frozen at the time and they're drinking so yeah that was something that was also something that I think contributed to me deciding against it because I was like oh if I can't even give up alcohol for this month like completely beforehand like do I is this do I want this enough you know like but that would definitely be something I think and that's it as well I think if I was doing it I would want to really do it right so it is it's not even just the two weeks of stimulation and what could possibly happen there it's the lead up and and the whole the whole process of it but definitely definitely there is a very an air of real casual casualness to elective egg freezing if you're doing it yeah yeah I couldn't agree more with that and you know that phrase of like just freeze your eggs and you're like just I just don't think that just is appropriate (laughs) yeah such a financial investment it's a physical toll it's an emotional toll and that casual nature I think could yeah potentially be detrimental to to the whole process and at the very least I'd be taking taking a prenatal vitamin for at least three months beforehand, but there's so much that you can do to optimize your fertility. And I just find it really interesting that it's so obvious to me, the difference Mm -hmm. in my patients that are doing IVF versus somebody who's doing elective egg freezing. I think too, I hope that, you know, by people like us having these conversations and, you know, we've already mentioned influencers that are talking about it on Mm -hmm. their channels. I do think that through these conversations, it's going to become more normalized to talk about egg freezing, but I do wonder if one of the reasons why people aren't engaging in preconception care and doing things like, you know, supplements and acupuncture and things like that, that are very commonplace in people that are doing IVF. I wonder if the reason why people that are doing elective egg freezing aren't choosing to do that is because they're actually not really talking about it with anyone. Maybe their sister knows or their best friend knows, but their wider friendship groups aren't aware of it. So maybe it's just not something that is being spoken about so openly so I do hope that that changes that's such a that's such a good point and I think it's always worked because I'm such an open person obviously like obviously I'm 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 an external process (laughs) but it's so true you know people it's still such a delicate and personal thing even just freezing for people especially if you are single and you've always wanted kids and it's like it, there's a, such a vulnerability to it as well so I think and and again because of the societal conditioning around like women becoming mothers a degree of perhaps shame and, and there's so it's so complex there's so much in it so I think definitely people wouldn't be speaking about the real intricacies of it as openly as they as they could be so yeah hopefully like conversations are always a positive thing if they're open and understanding exactly <laughs> and I think you touched on that shame element and you know Lizzie you're in a relationship but I think for a lot of people that a lot of women that are my age single and Mm. there is this pressure that has been put on us to be in a partnership to have children you know the other day I was talking to somebody and I was talking about my business I was talking about the podcast I was talking about the clinic that I'm opening I was talking about you know some amazing acupuncturists that have reached out that want to work with me and I really feel like I'm just in this really amazing place in my career. And this person said to me, it sounds like you've been doing so many great things. You still haven't managed to find a man though. And I, I I died. I just thought, is this where we are? Is this still where we are? That is just 
so disheartening. I was actually out at dinner with some girlfriends last night and we were talking about, I mean, this is a whole other podcast itself, but like <laughs> marriage and the, institution, the tradition of that and if it's changing, how it's changing. You know, statistically, women live longer. Here's a fun fact. <laughs> women actually live longer when they're not married and child-free. And married men live longer. Married men live longer, yeah, because, yeah. yeah. I hope that that is changing with our generation because, you know, and, and the ones after, you know, we're all a lot more informed. Men are so much more, I mean, sleeping generalizations, but like, you know, my partner does just as much, if not more, of all the domestic. <laughs> but like, you know, that hopefully that is changing as, as awareness is changing. But that that just, it's so problematic, that assumption in society that, you know, if you're not with, with someone, there's something wrong with you. When in fact, there are so many people in partnerships that are, not healthy, not good for them, but they're settling and, and, you know, that's not a good place to bring a child into either. So like, and I think it closes off any vision towards what else is possible. I work with people every day that are, I work with single women that are using donor embryos. I work with single women that are using donor sperm. I work with same-sex couples and, you know, the whole sort of range of fertility options. And I just think that that rhetoric of, you know, having to find a partner and having to have a child with that partner, it's such a shame that we aren't opening ourselves to all the other beautiful possibilities of what creating a family could look like. But we're digressing. I do want (laughs) to... I do want to ask you one more question and that is egg freezing is often pitched to the modern woman as our opportunity to have it all. Lizzie, do you think that we can indeed have it all? I think we can have our version of all, but crucially it's you taking the time to figure out what that really looks like for you as what does that look like for you and and really taking time to like dig deep on that go to therapy journal it out meditate you know and and sit with it for a while because the the danger lies in scrambling to have what society tells us all because I I don't think that leads to a good place you know but I do believe that if we get super clear and honest with ourselves about what our priorities are you know you can take the steps to make that happen yeah Good answer. I love it. (laughs) You're like me. You're a. I find you and I have spent a lot of time traveling, a lot of time Mm -hmm. understanding ourselves, a lot of time away from our hometown, and I think that gives a really unique perspective, you know, to to what it is that we want in life. And it's not to say that going down the route of having children in your, you know, in your late twenties, early thirties, isn't. Mm -hmm that they don't know themselves. That's not what we're saying at all. But I think if you are considering egg freezing, it's really prudent to take the time in understanding exactly what it is that you want in life, what your priorities are, working with experts that can support you the whole way through. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation, Lizzie. I absolutely love your work. Where can everyone connect with you? I think my Instagram is best because you can access the link tree through my Instagram bio and that will link you to the use your words course, which is actually going to be on sale soon and write on brand. If you're a business who needs copywriting and brand strategy support, or if you're an editor looking for freelance. I love it. Thanks so much. Such a pleasure. So that was such an awesome interview. I got so much out of it. Thank you, Michelle and Lizzie. So interesting. And I think that there's so much around that whole narrative and the way we talk about egg freezing. So 
yeah, I hope everyone got as much out of it as I did. Yeah. And can I just reiterate that everybody's going to make the decision that is best for them. Yeah. So when Lizzie and I were chatting in that interview, it's really to educate and empower people to make the right decision for them and where they're at in their life based on their worldview, their values, et cetera. And so it is, you know, just really important to have those different perspectives of maybe you want to book in with a counsellor before going down the route of doing that. Or maybe you talk about it with your friends and your family and you might not have done that so far. So just having those different perspectives is really important when it comes to something which is a really big deal. You know, it's, it's a financial investment. You might have to do multiple rounds. So I think a lot of people will think, oh yeah, we'll just do egg freezing once. But depending on how many babies you want to have one day, your fertility specialist will guide you on how many eggs you need to get. And if you don't achieve that goal in the first round, then you might be looking at a more significant amount of money. So there's lots of things to consider and you're always going to choose like hopefully the right thing for you. Yeah. And I feel like a big emotional journey as well that you might not realize at the beginning. I just feel like it would be beneficial definitely to see a psychologist, like Mm. you mentioned going into it, because you might think that I don't know if I want to have kids or not. And then maybe you go and get it done the first time and you're not very successful. And that brings up a lot of emotions about what you do yeah. want. And so yes. it's good to have someone by your side. Yeah, absolutely. You just never know how you're going to react to things like that until you're put in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And some people will coast through it. Yeah. So I've had girlfriends that have gone through egg freezing and they're just like coast through it. Yeah. They're still going to work every day. Everything's fine. And then I've had other people that have had, you know, an entirely different experience. Yeah. So I think understanding what other people's experiences are, not just one person, but having multiple perspectives is really important just so you can prepare yourself and feel really confident going into it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to wrap it up with a little segment today. And again, we're going to do something that people are just loving. So we're going to keep giving it to you guys. So periods are non. We've had a question come through. So this person has written, why when I have my period, does it feel like I have the most insane cramping from my bum hole to my belly button? Yeah. So this is actually a really common presentation of pelvic pain. I think when people think of pelvic pain, they probably just think like the front side of the pelvis, like the lower abdomen, but actually like rectal pain can be a really common presentation for some people when they get their period. I feel like a broken record, but you would want to double check with your GP that there's no red flags so that you're not having any like cysts or ulcers, or I always get this word wrong, fistulas. I was going to say, I've heard that before, the anal fistulas. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to rule out any red flags. I would also be really interested to know if this person has constipation in the lead up to the period. So a lot of people do have in the luteal phase, say in the week leading up to their period, they can have constipation. It's super common. And then some people will then get really loose stools on their period. So they have that constipation, then loose presentation, or some people might have constipation in the lead up to their period and then experience this pain that kind of goes from their butt all the way up to their belly button. And so if that's the case, then we'd be looking at, well, how can we support your bowels in the lead up to your period so that you don't have that blockage because it could it could be associated with that yeah and then another big one when it comes to rectal pain is endometriosis and then understanding if potentially there are other signs or other clinical presentations that might lead to us thinking there could be endometriosis I mean I always say this with these periods and on I'd love to have so much more information on this person. Yeah. If painful periods are a big symptom, if they're having heavy bleeding, what their bowel movements are like, et cetera. 
And if it's really, really impacting their day-to-day life, then I'd recommend potentially going to your GP and seeing if a pelvic ultrasound would be relevant to this person. Yeah. A pelvic ultrasound when performed by a trained technician who specializes in endometriosis might be able to pick up if there's any adhesions or if there's any endo that could be contributing to this pain. Yeah. It might not, but it might. So it's always worth kind of advocating for that if that's something that's impacting their day-to-day life. And then I would really look at pain pathways and potentially if, depending on what the pain is like, but maybe doing some relaxation exercises through the pelvic floor, maybe even going to see a pelvic floor physio and seeing if there's hypertonicity there that's actually causing some of that pain. So, I mean, there can be a lot going on. It's definitely not enjoyable. So I hope this person knows that they can seek help from allied health as well as their GP. So yeah, working with someone like potentially a pelvic floor physio, potentially an acupuncturist who, you know, has an understanding of this kind of stuff. And then of course, ruling out any red flags first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I feel like the whole pelvic floor physio is something that a lot of people don't know about. And we Mm. are going to do a whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I really, I refer my patients out to pelvic floor physios quite a lot. Yeah. If I think there's a endometriosis presentation, I'll usually refer out to a pelvic floor physio. If you're in Brisbane, just reach out to us on Instagram and I can share um, some of the people that I refer to because yep. we're really lucky. We've got some awesome practitioners here. Yeah. And I also recommend people get a pelvic floor check from a pelvic floor physio during their pregnancy, Yeah, particularly if they are suspicious that there might be some hypertonicity. So we often think of the pelvic floor being lazy, but there can be hypertonicity, which is essentially an overactive pelvic floor. And that's a really, really interesting topic. We can go into trauma and how that manifests as a tight pelvic floor and things like that. But that can influence childbirth. Mm -hmm. And if birthing vaginally is important to someone, then I usually recommend going and seeing pelvic floor physio and having an examination with them just to double check that they, you know, couldn't be doing any exercises to support their body in the lead up to birth. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we cannot wait to bring you more educational information and amazing stories. We just want to thank everyone who has been so supportive to us so far. Uh, We have been in the charts since our first episode and that is really just because of you guys. And one of the biggest things that gets us there is reviews. So if you do want to support us, that would be absolutely amazing. And the best thing about being in the charts, people often just look through the charts to find a new show. So obviously we want to empower and educate as many people as we can. Also, you can obviously subscribe to us on Apple, share us on your Instagram stories. All that stuff is really helpful and we really, really, really appreciate it. And this is your reminder that you are fabulous, interesting and beautiful, period.